This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports Station. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Welcome, everybody. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710 and seattlesports.com. Beautiful day outside. Hope you all are having a great day. We've got great show coming your way. Paul Moyer joining us today at 3 o'clock. Always love our conversations with Paul. And then maybe one of the nicest people in the world, John Morosi, with us at 5 o'clock. Uh, he's very excited talking. I saw him on MLB Network this morning, just smiling ear to ear. He's very excited to talk baseball. So, Was he trapped in a hotel room somewhere? No, he looked like he was in a control room with somebody. We'll have to ask him about that. But he'll join us at 5 o'clock. This hour of Wyman and Bob is brought to you by Muckleshoot Casino. Uh, we've We've got a big announcement, I've been told. I've heard about it somewhere, that we've got a big announcement. You know, what's funny is we often will have guests on the program, and people will text in and say, oh, I love that guy, or why are you talking to this guy, or this, you know, they'll, they'll comment. And somebody we had on fairly recently, we got a ton of comments on. And what, what I love about a lot of the listeners is they feel like, well, why don't you just have that guy on all the time? Why don't you just, <laughs> yeah. well, you should just have him come on every week. It's like, well, you know, these people have schedules and often that's not a priority for them. So we would love to, but we took their, their advice to heart in this case. And we said, you know what, based on the response of that first conversation, let's see what we can do. Let's, let's put the wheels in motion and see if we can get somebody of the caliber, the stature, the gravitas of John Schneider on this program. On a regular basis, and that's exactly what we are going to do. Seahawks GM John Schneider is going to join us every Thursday at 4 o'clock beginning next week, going all the way up to Thursday of the NFL draft, which includes the first night of the draft. So you asked, you shall receive. John Schneider, uh, we're excited to talk. He he was a lot of fun when we talked to him last time, and, and we got so much positive response, so then... Started behind the scenes trying to get things going. Dave was working his magic, you know, doing all of his uh, brokering that he does. And I don't know uh, what you finally settled on, if you have to wash Dave Pearson's car once a week during the summer or how that's going to go. But you, you were able to make it happen. <laughs> and and by the way, Bump told me that uh, he said the big news was that I was coming out of retirement and putting the pads back on. Yeah, somebody, somebody I don't said, think anybody believes that. <laughs> somebody sent in a text says, the big news is Dave pregnant? <laughs> yeah, but that was like four months ago. <laughs> I don't know how you missed that. Uh, yeah, th- this is a big deal, man. I mean, Schneider, is, he's been in the league, been around the league for almost 35 years. I mean, he's he's in his early 50s, so I mean, he right, right from the get-go. And I always make the joke that when, I think in 96, when I went to try out for the Packers, I think it was 97, that's when he was there. And mm. I was like, yeah, you were probably one of the little... Uh, you know, scouts that said no to me or something. <laughs> said or there was nothing left in the in tank. The 40 or something. Yeah, no. But, uh, yeah, he started out with the Packers, and, you know, he's been in Kansas City and and here, of course. But, uh, yeah, it's been – it's really been a good ride. And coming up to this draft, I mean, this is this is the most important draft, I think, that we've seen since him and Pete have been here. Mm-hmm. So um, – and just a really good down-to-earth guy. And lots of stories, you know, from his career. And I told a story about this a few – maybe a year or two ago about Trent Kirchner, who is their, his uh, pro scout director. And just how he got to be – and it's kind of the same thing with Schneider. He just wrote a bunch of letters to Ron Wolf, who was the GM of Green Bay, and finally got a job – 
And, uh, and then, you know, just the rest is history because he's just been has great instincts. But uh, the, the story about Trent Kirchner was that he had his resume and uh, he was standing outside the combine in Indianapolis for, I think, three years. Mm-hmm. And finally, somebody got his resume, gave it to somebody, and the rest is history. Now he's, he's a hustler, man. I like it. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the, the story of John Schneider and then, you know, just what what he's been able to do. And I think it's been difficult drafting when you're down near the bottom. But, you know, they don't they've done a good job over the years. And uh, and I, he's just very, like I said, down to earth guy. Yeah. And, and he's he doesn't do a lot of media. That's what I love. Is yeah. that, I mean, he'll do it at the GM, you know, the combine when they have the, the coach and the GM. He'll do it in the places where it, it kind of always happens with every GM. But yeah, not a guy that does a lot of media and. He's he's got a great personality, great sense of humor. I mean, we we you know obviously we share same love of of movies and and characters and yeah, we'll get him we'll get him going on the Tommy Boy stuff and you know that'll be that was um, a hoax, right? <laughs> That's actual audio from John Schneider. How about that? <laughs> No, he said something really funny that he did. I don't, I don't think he was trying to be funny, but last time, and uh, and he's like, yeah, they had a picture of me and Pete up in a bre- my favorite breakfast place, fire Pete and John, and you know, halfway through the season, they took it down. <laughs> said it very, very matter of factly, but, yeah. but that that's that's kind of what uh, is endearing about him. But man, he's make no mistake, he's really a sharp guy, and you know, can tell you who got drafted when, and has you know, has had a lot of guys coming through like Dan Morgan. Um, and then I'm trying to remember, uh, there's been a, well, of course, Scott Fitter was worked with John and now he's the GM in Carolina. So he's got a really good tree and uh, a lot of, a uh, lot of kids, a lot of guys working for him that started out as kids and, um, that I'm trying to remember the, uh, dang it. Well, there's a fullback that was out of university of Miami the same year I was drafted and he just left and, and went somewhere else. I'm trying to remember his name, but, um, yeah, the, I mean, he just is a, a guy that really, uh, is responsible for a lot of you know a uh, lot of careers in the NFL. Yeah, it's it's going to be fun to have that conversation, especially leading up to the draft. Now, of course, John will give us all of the behind the scenes details, who they're looking at, what they like about each guy, who's their priority, who they want to draft. If they're you know that kind of information is going to be right there at our fingertips. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna have to. I'm you know, kidding, of course. He knows exactly what he can and can't say. Yeah, so. but it, it's just good to get insight from him again. He's got he's got such a great perspective, and, and he's been in the thick of everything that's gone on here, certainly. And then, yeah. you know, but I think leading up to the draft is really going to be interesting. Just as you know, guys get signed, there'll be free agents out there that get signed that may alter draft positions and. Just, just kind of get his take on how that goes, and some some of the uh, some of the poker that's played. You yeah. know, we get a lot of you get a lot of GMs and head coaches and front office people that will use the media to send a signal out there to get a get a story percolating out there, sort of a misdirection. And I love it. I, I love this time of year because there's it's just such a it's such a game being played by everybody. Everybody yeah. knows you're, you're just trying to decipher. All right, is that story real or was that somebody yeah. saying, "Hey, man." Here's what's going on, and they get it out there, and they, it's 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 just it's all uh, it's all de- it's all deceptive practices that are fun to talk about and and fun to watch as they happen. So it's going to be John Schneider again. In case you just tuned in, he's going to be joining us starting next Thursday, every Thursday at four o'clock, and it'll go all the way up to Thursday of the NFL draft, which includes the very first night of the draft. So uh, we are very excited to have Seahawks GM John Schneider as a weekly guest on this program. Again, something he does not do much of. 
And uh, Dave was able to beat him in arm wrestling two out of three times, which meant he had to agree to come on the show. Yeah, Alonzo Highsmith, by the way, is the guy that I was uh, that I was thinking of that was drafted the same year as I did that just left to go. Uh, so I think he back back to University of Miami, but. Um, yeah, and by the way, uh, the reason why I forget names like that is it, that's done on purpose because what I'm trying to do is promote the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line eight six six nine seven nine three seven seven six. Just give you know the listeners a chance to correct me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's there's that, but th- we're really looking forward to this. And and like you said, obviously there's there's lots of things we can't we can't ask and we can't be specific. So well, we can ask. He's just not going to answer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we can. You want silence? Yeah, if we want just. You know, uh, hey, no comment. I can't answer that. Okay, then we'll move on. But yeah, I think uh, you no. might start talking about kickers or no, something I, if you ask him that. I, I love, I love talking to John. Obviously, you talk to him much more than I do, but he's he's always very engaging, and he hears, and, and he's got a he's got a great attitude. You know, he's called me out for things that I've said, and and I appreciate that. The day he'll he'll bring it up, and you know, he what was it that one time he came on? He said something about. Well, I happen to be listening when you said blah, blah, blah. I'm like, come on. You happen to be. You listen all the time. Stop it. This is your favorite show. You know it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He's pretty busy. You know, uh, maybe it's on in the background. but yeah, As it should be. Yeah. So, uh, well, Bob, I got to say, I mean, you, 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 like I said, you took it like a champ. When he came back, I think, a little bit at you. Same with uh, the Mariners. Everybody. <laughs> Bob was Why is everybody coming about at the me, Mariners. Man? Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, as long as you can wear it. Yeah, yeah, I got no choice, man. It's out there. I can't really deny it when it's out there on the airwaves. I didn't say that. I guess I could, but that that would be poor practice. But no, it's uh no, and and I think people like John and John Stanton and and everybody else, they understand where it's coming from. None of it's ever personal. It's it comes from a fan perspective. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, often I'm going to ask the question that the fans are going, "Well, why did you do this?" or "Why didn't you do that?" or "Why what's happening here?" I mean, so, yeah, sometimes they agree with it and sometimes they don't. But, John, I'm excited about this. This is going to be a lot of fun. So, again, starting next Thursday, John Schneider will uh, be with us every Thursday at 4 o'clock. Really looking forward to this this uh, weekly conversation with him, especially leading up to the draft. This time of year, I think, is perfect. So uh, stay tuned for that. Meanwhile, uh, NFL honors happening tonight at 6 o'clock. So what we're we're doing is going through some of the categories and just given who our picks would be. In, in these categories as far as the National Football League goes. But then putting it around the, you know, kind of building it around the Seahawks as well. Like who would win on this team, you know, for those categories. So coach of the year. The the, the finalists are, are uh, Kyle Shanahan, Doug Peterson, and, and Brian DeBall. Why do you think Pete's not on there? Uh, I don't know. I, you know, the thing I, is, I, like, I, you, you brought up Peterson a while ago. Uh, yeah. And, and I was like, yeah. I get that. I just, you know, when you are, you have a terrible record, you go, what were they like? They, I think they had two wins last year or was it three? I'll, two I'm going to look. Yeah, it was like back to back. And it was the, the first team, Jacksonville and Doug Peterson, that made three it. Three wins. They were three and 14 last year. Yeah. And the year before that, I think they were two the year and Before 14, that, they were one and 15. One and 15. They've won they won four games combined in two seasons. Yeah. But, but I, I would argue with him that. You also got four first rounders because of that, and two number one picks. Mm-hmm. But you know, turning them into They're still rookies players is still another another story. Yeah, I and and by the way, that was so. We'll give our our vote or you know who we think should win that job uh, based on. So you didn't you went outside of the 
final, the actual finalists. Well, you know, Bob, I didn't read the show sheet, so uh, (laughs) I didn't know what the choices were. No, Uh, I just thought I would make the case for for Nick Sirianni. I think that's fair. I think he's worthy. Pete's worthy of that consideration. I think everybody listed is absolutely worthy for different reasons. Yeah. The the one thing I'm not certain on, when when does the voting end? Do we know? Is it at the end of the regular season? Yeah, it was a season award. That was the uh, what that Rob Motti dude told us. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So, I mean. One dude? Rob Motti, who, remember, okay. who do you That's remember right. that interview? Yes, Dave? I do. Yeah, okay. So you go with Sirianni. I go with Peterson. I don't, I don't think there's a wrong answer in this. To, yeah. I think you make a case for any of these, any of the, the actual candidates and the guys that we had. For me, Peterson, I'm just looking at, like I said, you had, he took over a team that was an absolute train wreck after Urban Meyer was there. I mean, it was so dysfunctional. You got a nosy owner who wants to be a part of it. Remember yeah. talking about his, his involvement. Khan? Yeah, Shad yeah. Khan and just, it felt like just a bad situation combined four wins in two seasons and to come in and, and do what they did this year. I give Doug Peterson a lot of credit, man. I think I thought that was a big deal. And to me, if I had a vote, that's, that's who I would give my vote to. Yeah. Well, and Doug Peterson kind of set up Nick Sirianni for the, the job that he's done. Cause his last year in, in Philly, Doug Peterson was four eleven and one. Mm-hmm. So, but then in twenty one they were nine and eight, and this year fourteen and eight. So, I'm sorry, fourteen and three. So, yeah, I, I feel like uh, that that Sirianni probably is not getting. Yeah, you know, we heard earlier in the week he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because Andy Reid didn't hire him back at one point. But um, I don't know he's one of those guys I think that had to get up there and continually. Also, I think it's hard being head coach in in Philly. No, I think <laughs> it's, it's hard being anything in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard existing in Philly. Uh, as far as our coach of the year for the Seahawks, I, I went with Andy Dickerson. I, I, you know, if we're looking at position groups, I mean, yeah, we could go head coach and go Pete, but I think overall the most impressive element of the team to me was the O-line based on the fact that you had two rookies on that line starting at crucial spots and not, not to diminish the role of a guard or anything, but I think a guard can kind of be covered up if there's some weak spots there, they can be helped out by the guys to the left and right of them. Um, you had a new center there. So you had three new pieces on that line. You were rotating one piece between Phil Haynes and Gabe Jackson. And I thought they were really good. If um, if they're not good, Ken Walker doesn't have the season he has. Gino doesn't have the season he has. It it starts there. Yeah. So for me, my coach of the year for the Seahawks is Andy Dickerson. Yeah, I think it's a good choice. I think he, he's done a really good job and made it so those guys understand. I went with Dave Canales, who is now interviewing, and I know with the Baltimore Ravens, and I'm not sure. I think there's another there's another uh, team in the mix now. But Dave Can- Canales is the quarterback coach, and I thought the biggest story of the year was Geno Smith. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it was one of the best stories in the NFL. Uh, coming out in his 10th year, and this is this is something that will work against Geno, but it's also something that's pretty amazing that in your 10th year, you get an opportunity to start and you fully take advantage of it. And I thought yeah. like Dave Canales in his ear all year just did a really good job of kind of keeping it simple. You're right about Pete. I mean, I think Pete was a huge part of coaching not only you know, Geno Smith, but also the guys you talked about, the two rookie tackles, just keeping those guys in the game and don't get discouraged. And, you know, there were some rough moments for those guys, especially penalty-wise. Yeah. I remember with Charles, there was a couple of times where he'd get like 
two or three uh, penalties in the first half. And, you know, Pete had to get out there and sort of calm them down. But Andy Dickerson, I think, explains things really well. And same with Dave Canales of just keeping it real simple for Gino. And, and, and really, you don't have to keep it simple for Gino. The guy's been in the league 10 years. Yeah. So, And, you know, we know how backup quarterbacks, and Peterson, I don't know if Sirianni was, but I know that there's a lot of NFL coaches that were backup quarterbacks. Uh, comeback player of the year. Now, I, my vote is going to be different only because I define it differently. We've talked about that before. I think there needs to be that additional category. And we talked about it with, with our, our guy about what was the category he said? Uh, uh, breakout player of the year? Uh, most improved. Most improved. Most improved. Most comeback improved. and then a most improved. Yeah, because for me, comeback implies you were there, you were at the top, or you were you were you know at a certain level, you fell for whatever reason, performance, injury, whatever it was, and you fought your way back. You came back. So that's why I don't put Gino in the comeback. I would have I would have put him in that that other category we were just talking about. So for me, I'm looking at at a player that that came back and and you know from adversity and found it. And my vote for the league would be Derrick Henry. He played what eight games last year and got hurt. I mean, it was a nothing year for him. He comes back this year over 1,500 yards rushing and 13 touchdowns. I mean, like he never missed a beat. And for for that particular position. You know, the wear and tear that that guy goes through and coming off an injury like that. And it was almost like AP when he came back from the knee and had a 2,000-yard season. Not quite to that that point, but considering the injury, considering the limited time he had the year previous and what he did this year, my, my vote goes to Derrick Henry. Well, and I also have a running back, and the reason why it's impressive for guys like Henry and mine is Christian McCaffrey is because as a running back, you just get, you get pummeled, man. Yeah. Yeah, like I, like I said, the few times I had my hands on the ball, like everybody wants to kill you. You're not typically in that situation. I mean, the quarterback, obviously, but anytime a running back is, especially you're running in a lot of times the inside runs, which Henry runs all the time. I mean, you're looking for a huge collision there. So a lot of times that's, you know, gets you unhealthy. And that's one of the things that happened to Christian McCaffrey. And, you know, when, when he goes to, to San Francisco, he goes over 100 yards three different times. And he was part of that 10-game winning streak that they had. But really, he got it going in Carolina. He went over 100 twice uh, with the Carolina Panthers, and they'd signed him to a huge deal. And, you know, hats off to uh, to the Niners because McCaffrey really helped them a lot. But coming back from that that injury from last year, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like his career has been kind of sketchy, and he, he really did a good job this year. What do you end up with? Let's see here. 1,139 yards, eight touchdowns. My um, comeback player for the Seahawks, again, I put a different definition on comeback. Uh, so is Quandre Diggs. We talked about it. Last seen leaving the field on a cart, foot pointed the wrong direction, tears coming down his face. He comes back and finds his way to the Pro Bowl. Now, did I didn't feel like it was his best season. We talked about it. But for him to be in that position to be considered for the Pro Bowl, to have a season that's representative enough to feel good about voting for him, considering the injury he went through, that is huge. So my, my Seahawks comeback player of the year is Quandre Diggs. Boy, we never even talked about that. I mean, there was speculation of, well, do you think he'll be ready, you know, this. And did he start off? I don't think he started off in uh, in full contact. But, yeah, that's that's a good one. Mine, mine is uh, Geno Smith just because of, I think, coming back from just not playing. And that's the hardest thing. If you can't get reps, especially at quarterback, 
And again, sitting behind a guy like Russell Wilson, not having the chance, uh, to me, it's Geno Smith. All right, we'll get to all the other categories coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Offensive Rookie of the Year, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Offensive Player, Defensive Player, uh, Moment of the Year. So we'll get to all that coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Let's take two. Well, it's been an absolutely wild NBA trade deadline. Headline by the Nets trading Kevin Durant to the Suns, uh, along with some other guys, but they traded TJ Warren too. But Kevin Durant, certainly the, the headliner of that deal. And in return, they got Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Jay Crowder, along with four unprotected first round picks. Man, that is a haul right there. I don't, I mean, I love Kevin Durant. I will always love Kevin Durant because he's always, always championing Seattle. Mm-hmm. Always. He's 34 years old, and the guy has had a lot of injuries. I mean, you look at the last time he played a full season, it's been it's been a minute. So I love him. He's still incredibly productive, but you got to wonder how long is that going to last? How long is he going to be is he going to be durable enough to make this work? He gave up four unprotected first round picks in addition to everything else. That's a lot. I remember when he was here and he was down on the field at uh, over at uh, what was it then CenturyLink, and you know he was he was on the pre and post game show. I was just looking at how narrow his shoulders are, and I'm so thinking, slight. man, I don't. This guy's going to get beat up a little bit in the NBA, but man, he's been good. Well, it hasn't been a, a good post-All-Star break for the Kraken. We found out today that their points leader, Andre Burakovsky, was placed on IR with the uh, always specific lower body injury, and he'll be out for quite a while, according to Ron Francis. Burakovsky only played 31 seconds in the loss to the Islanders on Tuesday. That hurts. He's been huge for this team this year. I don't, I don't like this, this injury designa- designation they've got in the NHL. Lower body. So is that just anywhere from the waist down? You know who to like that, probably. John Schneider. But the NFL probably. would like, like yeah, that I'm sure every head coach and everybody, I get why they like yeah. it, just for our purposes. So it could be a hip, could be a knee, could be a hamstring, could be an ankle, could be a toe. And what's even worse, I mean, upper body. That could be anything from an arm to neck to a head to, you know. Isn't yeah, that weird, man? I mean, it's, it's like a cultural thing. Like, it's it's a hockey thing. Like, why is that different? It's a, still an injury. You know, that just, it doesn't make sense to me. But I don't know. I, I kind of like it. I, I feel like, you know, it's something that the team keep, gets to keep to itself. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I don't know. I, if I'm running a hockey team, and like, I guess I would say to somebody, like, it's none of your business. Okay. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lower body injury. Yeah, they well, used to say that about. That's kind of what they're saying. It's none of our business. It's a lower body injury. So who was uh, who was the Mariner that had ankyloning spondylosis? spondylitis? That was uh, Franklin Gutierrez. <laughs> yeah, and remember yeah. they used to say like they would put him on the on the list. And it would be legs. Well, I don't think they knew what was wrong for a long time. Yeah. So I think it took them a while to get to. That was the first time I ever saw that. Yeah, I remember seeing TV commercials about it. <laughs> Not him, but that condition. Oh, the spondylitis. Yeah, you don't want to say the whole thing. I don't know what the first one is. It's something, <laughs> about, an, something about an ankle. <laughs> All right. Take two is brought to you by Swedish Cyberknife. Treat prostate cancer with Swedish Cyberknife. Swedish.org slash Cyberknife Prostate. Coming up, one respected NFL voice doesn't hold back when it comes to his opinion on Geno Smith. We'll get into that next. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports Station.
This hour of Wyman and Bob is brought to you by Muckleshoot Casino. Coming up at 3 o'clock, our buddy Paul Moyer will join us on the program as he does every week. So stay tuned for that conversation. Also at 5 o'clock, John Morosi. We'll talk some baseball with him. But uh, Bump and Stacy had Keyshawn Johnson on today, and he had some interesting things to say, Dave, as it relates to Geno Smith and contracts and all of this. Want to? I don't know if you had a chance to hear him, but and, and how many of our listeners had a chance? I want to give them a couple of cuts. Here, here he is just talking about Geno. He's stating the obvious here. You know, you're talking about all these big name quarterbacks coming out in the draft. Everybody gets excited about him. Right now, Geno's better than all of them. Is is basically the point here? Yes, yes, he can, and you pay him the money. You may not pay him fifty million a year, but you reward him. And Geno Smith is better than any quarterback you're gonna get in college right now anyway he's better than any he's better than Bryce Young he's better than TJ Stroud he's better than this Levitt dude that everybody from Kentucky that they just (laughs) they want to make him the the next coming of whatever uh he's better than him he's better than Bryce Young I mean he's just better than Cooker he's just seasoned he's better than those guys right now so I didn't say don't draft a quarterback what I'm saying is he's your guy for the next two to three years while that guy gets ready to take over if Geno falters. He doesn't even know <laughs> Will Levis is that Levitt guy they're trying to make all. <laughs> well, I, I feel what he's talking about because all of a sudden that guy's people are taking like from the time that he last played football, wherever he was ranked and maybe it was a late first, early second, people have shot him up to be the number one pick. You know, there's a couple in, of in some mock draft. The some, CBS one yesterday. Yeah, and mock draft. So uh, yeah, I don't. I get his frustration with that, and why he's kind of giving him a hard time. That and probably because he puts mayonnaise in his coffee. But uh, <sighs> Gino, yeah, he's absolutely right, and that's kind of what. The theme, you know, that I've always worked on is that I'm going to take the guy who's the veteran. And Gino's playing really good football right now. And getting into – there's nothing to indicate to me that he's going to – that was just a flash in the pan. I mean, I, I think the way he played was very solid. And it wasn't like he just threw the ball up for grabs and people made spectacular catches. He ran the offense. That's that's the thing I think that impressed me the most is his command over the offense. So I'm making the checks, working with Austin Blythe. And so, yeah, I mean, it's going to take a rookie a couple of years to get that done. You would think. Yeah, that's typically how it goes. So the, it, as he said, it doesn't preclude you from drafting a quarterback if they've got a, a particular passion for one of them or a belief in one of them and maybe they're a two-year project or one year or whatever it is you need something you need somebody there you don't I don't think you really want to even if it's a top five quarterback the idea of just throwing them into the fire is always a tough proposition now I'll, I'll say this the Seahawks are in a better spot than those teams typically are typically it is a Jacksonville team that's coming off a one win season mm-hmm. or a, you know some of these other teams that are coming off a two three win season and they're they're in a shambles and you throw a rookie quarterback out there and all these other new pieces all trying to find it at the same time. That doesn't, that's not a great recipe right there. So this is, this is a perfect situation. You've got Gino, who's a veteran coming off a great year. You sign him for two years or three or whatever the deal ends up being. And if you've got, if you've got some motivation, you've got some, some passion about one of these other quarterbacks. All right, draft them, bring them in, let them sit, let them learn. That's perfect. Uh, as far as the dollar amount, uh, this is, from Keyshawn's perspective, what he thinks it would take. I probably would pay him $35 million. Just because it's $32, you got to go over the tag. Mm-hmm. You always got to go over the tag. Remember that. So an average of $35 million a year, 
three years, what would that give you? $105 million? So there you go. You give him a three-year, 105. You give him about 60 of it fully guaranteed, 60 to 70 of it fully guaranteed, and we're going to keep it moving. Makes that sound so easy. <laughs> well, hopefully. And then, you know, so you're talking about, uh, you know, 35 over three years, $105 million. Oh, mm-hmm. God. Oh, God. Please help me. Yeah, that's right. The, the math gods. Yeah, that's that's correct. But you then, and you look at over the that period of time, the salary cap's going to be six hundred and whatever, up to seven hundred, as far as uh, the numbers all added together. And you know, it doesn't seem like that big of a chunk out of the salary cap year over year over year. It's it's not. So, what, what do you mean six or seven hundred? What do you, if you add all of the uh, salary caps going forward. Oh, each year, the 220 issue. to two. Okay. Yeah. I thought you meant it was going up. I'm going, I, I missed yeah. that bit of news. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, you're talking about, you know, 105 out of what, 800, 750, whatever. It's, it's not a huge percentage wise. And that, that's where you really don't, you don't, uh, cramp your style there. But I, I, to me, 32 to 35 is somewhere where I feel like it, it'll be. I don't think it's going to be 40. But, um, you know, I, I think I backed my number off a little bit because KJ was so strong about not paying him $30 million. I'm not like, even going to entertain it, Dave. Yeah, and I was like, well, maybe I'm missing something. I, I know KJ. You know, and then he kind of backed off the other day. It was kind of funny. He was like, yeah, I kind of disrespected Gino a little bit. But, yeah, that, he's right. I, I like everything Keyshawn Johnson said there. I think it is going to be somewhere in that 32 to 35. So it's not like the franchise tag. It's a little bit more than that. And it's way, way more than you've been making. But we're just not going to do $40 million at this point. And no. I feel like that'll work out. No, and, and we're all, again, we're all guessing. None of us know what he's asking for versus what the Seahawks drop dead number is. We're all speculating just based on this, based on the franchise tag number, the non-exclusive franchise tag number, which is thirty-two and change. So everybody's sort of working from that point forward. And he said, "You got to go over that. Remember that." I, I hadn't heard that rule before. Yeah. He said, "Remember that. You got to <laughs> go over it." Uh, he, the one thing he doesn't want to hear about is uh, teams like the Seahawks saying they can't afford. To, to pay that kind of money. Don't let the Brock Purdy experiment cause your money. You can't do that. Look, you pay that dude, okay? And, and if you think that, and you said it, Seattle drafted bad. So don't get caught up in, they gave all the money to Russell Wilson. That's, that's a lie. That is such a lie. They could pay who they want to pay when they want to pay him. The Rams sure did it. They won the Super Bowl, okay? That drives me crazy when I hear people, oh, they don't have any money. No, they have money. It's do they want to spend the money? Sharpen your pencils and figure out how to make it fit under a $225 million cap. How about that? And if not, find a new capologist that knows how to manipulate the salary cap. Well, sometimes it's find a new owner <laughs> because just because there's a salary cap, that doesn't mean every team's owner is going to want to spend Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, hey, let's find out a way to do that a little bit cheaper. I mean, it's just like the meeting that went on in uh, in Moneyball with Billy Bean and the owner there. It was, you know, like, this is what we're going to spend. This is mm-hmm. all. We're not doing this. We're not going to be one of these. And it doesn't go on, on go on to the extremes that it does in, in baseball as mm-hmm. far as not spending money. But there is still money that is not spent because they don't want to spend it, not because they don't have the cap room. So, And then the other thing is, like you said, the new capologist. I don't know. I mean, Keyshawn has kind of been a little irritating over the years, but <laughs> I, I like everything I heard from him there. I think he, I think he makes perfect sense there. 
<laughs> so that wasn't irritating, that comment. That part was not anything that he said there was not irritating. I think he spoke the truth. I think that's really the way it is. And, you know, just because and when people say, oh, we don't have any room. Well, yeah, there, there typically is you can find ways to do it. And if you have a good capologist, which the Seahawks do, then I, I think it can work out. And especially now with these young young guys on these uh, these minimum rookie contracts that are mm-hmm. still really, really good. But it's yeah. just not going to hurt your cap. Well, and they, they go through, they restructure, they push money here, they move this, this becomes a bonus, this becomes backlit. I mean, the... the moves they make are, are crazy but they find ways and and he's right if they if they want to pay Gino and you know pay somebody on the defensive side big money they can do it they've done it before they did it with Bobby and they did it with Russ at the same time but you know does that impact your ability to fill in all of the other spots that are whole you got more than one hole on the defensive side of things you got multiple spots you need to address you got a you got a very shallow group of linebackers maybe and we're not even sure how shallow you know depending on the health of Jordan Brooks mm-hmm. so You've got to spend some money there. It can't all be filled with draft picks, mm-hmm. you know. So they they've got to figure out how to spread that money around and address all of their needs in a competitive way. All right, this hour of Wyman and Bob is brought to you by Muckleshoot Casino. Could the entire NFL pre-draft process undergo a big change soon? We'll get into that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on seven ten. Wyman and Bob, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on Seattle Sports Station. We got our buddy Paul Moyer joining us at 3 o'clock, so stay tuned for that. About 15 minutes away from that conversation here with Wyman and Bob, Seattle Sports Station on 710. This hour of Wyman and Bob is brought to you by Muckleshoot Casino. So we saw this during the show yesterday, Dave. You and I talked about it off the air. But uh, NFLPA President DeMora Smith is not a fan of the NFL Combine. In fact, he'd like to get rid of it. Uh, he wants to get rid of the, he said, he said this yesterday during the players association annual Super Bowl news conference, uh, would like to abolish the combine and instead establish regional pro days potentially put on by the NFLPA. Um, let's see. The response came after he was asked about NFL executive, uh, vice president of football operations, Troy Vincent, comparing the combine to a quote slave auction during league meetings in December. And he's on board with it. I'm surprised that he came in from the NFL side. Making that, that Troy comment. Vincent did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, look, there's a part where you and every player goes through this, and this is why we make fun of Tom Brady, which I don't really make fun of him. I think it's amazing. But there's a picture of him in just his shorts, and I don't know if they still do that. I really don't. But I know that I did. I yeah. stood up and uh, up on a, a stage that was like a, a riser with uh, just a pair of shorts on, and then you had to turn around. <laughs> I mean, it was it was really, you know. And I I, I guess I was like, well, this is part of the deal. Yeah, it's humiliating, but um, but you know, you're you're a football player who's going to play in the NFL. I mean, for the most part, you you know, most guys have. Aren't embarrassed without yeah. their shirt on. They're and, eager to show you the work they yeah, put in. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that I'm surprised about that. But I think that the key part there is that they want a bunch of regional things sponsored by the NFLPA. Yes, okay. they do. Okay, so what they see is that the NFL is making a bunch of money off of their players, and they want to make sure that they get their their fingers on it. But I, this is the worst time I think possible to to bring this up, and this is very. 
I wouldn't say consistent, but it sort of goes the way of what I have come to understand our players association to be about. And I know that there's people that don't like me for criticizing them. When Gene Upshaw, I just I saw so much buffoonery, Bob, uh, from the guys that were the reps, uh, how the money was spent. Um, yeah, and and one of my teammates at that time when uh, I remember we had. Um, you know, who, who was our leader at that time? I'm trying to remember because there was a transition. It was Gene Upshaw, I think, at the time. Yeah, it was Gene Upshaw. And, you know, one of my one of my teammates in Denver, uh, a backup quarterback named Millen, basically mm. ran him out of the room because <laughs> he got mad because he, he was asking questions like, what about this? What about all this money you spent on this retreat that you guys go on this year? What about the, the dues and what does this get us and everything? And he got mad and, and screamed and yelled. they were legitimate questions. Yes, and he screamed and yelled and walked off the stage. And I'm like, wow, that's that's our union. Now, I know that things have changed, but since then, they've kind of, they're always just sort of, the, the last time we, they showed up in the news was when the DeMar Hamlin thing happened, and they were criticizing the NFL for not uh, canceling the game fast enough. Yeah. And it was done 66 minutes later. And so everybody's trying to process, you know, what's going on and everything. And so that was their one contribution to the whole thing is that they criticized the NFL for not canceling the game, you know, and uh, quick enough, I should say. So, yeah, I, I, it just... That was mindless, by the way. Me. That was so tone deaf. Yeah. <laughs> that was so tone deaf by them, I thought. And this, right. what are the chances that they that this happens i mean this is the nfl as we've talked about they monetize everything everything has become a big deal it doesn't matter what it is whether we're talking about the draft i mean the draft has grown in in ways i never even thought possible you've got now they've they've come up with the idea of moving it from city to city to city and it's a massive you saw a quarter of a million people outside you know attending this thing i mean it it is blown up and the combine is only gaining in popularity every year. It's it, they're showing more of it. The ratings are going up. I'm telling you, we've talked about it before. How long until they start selling tickets to the combine and the stadiums that they're in in Indianapolis will be packed? Maybe this year. Yeah, and, and was it Stank or Elombre? Somebody has said when we were talking about football and the XFL or something said, well. It's selling crack to crack addicts. Yeah, you're <laughs> going to buy it. Yeah. Was it yeah. Schlereth? He's Schlereth. right, though. He's like, well, let's not get the NFL too too much credit, but no, I mean, it, there's He's such right. a huge demand for it, and they've done, and they even kind of did the Pro Bowl right. But this last year was, would you say, it was by far the most exciting combine? Yeah, the, and this the, year will be even more anticipated. The big guy was it Javon Hargrave, or I can't remember who the guy was from uh, Georgia that ran the ridiculous forty time, and yeah. you know, it was just, it was really a spectacle and they did a good job of but here here's the other thing they want to do it in some of these regional uh you know like at pro colleges days. and pro days and stuff like that what the nfl wants to see is how do you it was intimidating going there now i'll i'll, I'll say this i did get my knee pulled on enough where i was like guys i just played an entire season and it, my knee swole up and then i had to go out and perform so there was some downside to it but the, what they want to see is they don't want to see you compete, throw, run, whatever, on your own home turf with your own guys there. You want to see these guys come together and compete against 
your peers, the guys that you're going to be drafted alongside. That's There's something to that. And I have to say, I mentioned earlier, Alonzo Highsmith, he was the third pick in the draft. That dude was the most, like he looked like a bodybuilder playing fullback or running back at the time. And I was looking at that guy going, damn, I got to tackle a dude like that in the NFL yeah. and he's a rookie. So, you know, that's that's the kind of things you go through and you see how these guys respond. So and obviously it's, they're not going to get overwhelmed by what used to be. And that's another thing about the combine. Remember, it used to be called the underwear Olympics and people kind of right. panned it. Well, now it's become a big deal that uh, everybody kind of gets a chance to see who these guys are. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the other thing I would say, you know, you the NFLPA, you don't want these guys to become superstars. Some of these guys become stars that you see their faces, you see up close, you get interviews of them and that helps them. That helps them become, you know, in the things off the field as far as being a pro. And you want to come and and take away from that? Uh, it's just weird to me. Well, yeah, and and it gets these individual fan bases excited about the potential of this kid coming to their team or this kid coming to their team. All it does is grow the anticipation of your product. That's all it does. Is it, it, you know, if if you've got the top pick, if you're Chicago. You're looking at all these different players. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing the ratings in Chicago and the ratings, anybody in the top five ratings here in Seattle are going to be huge for the combine mm. because you want to see, all right, this guy's projected to be somewhere around the fourth, fifth pick, and could the Seahawks go after him? And, yeah, there's the, you have, and, and Schlereth nailed it. I mean, we're football junkies. We're, you know, you love everything about the league. You're invested in every aspect of your team, and the combine is growing every year and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's a marketing opportunity for the kids, as you said, and it's a marketing opportunity for the league, and it gets the individual fan bases all invested that much more and that much more excited about it, and I can't imagine – that the NFL would even entertain this. I cannot imagine they would forego an opportunity to absolutely clean up financially the way they do on everything else they do. Yeah, and it's just it's so positive and everything. I mean, look, I, I'm I think you need unions. There's no question about it, but it's almost like to the point where they don't really need that. Um, because everything is just there for them. Now, I mean, you need your union to represent you in certain, you know, times when things aren't going well. Right. You know, so, and I'm I'm not poo-pooing that. I'm just saying that a lot of times they sort of miss the mark. Like, it's it's more about them sort of trying to nudge the NFL out of the way a little bit and say, hey, we're a big part of this, and they come up with bad ideas. Yeah. It's a bad idea. Well, we'll see what uh, – we'll get Paul Moyer's thoughts on this, how he feels about that that suggestion that they abolish it and turn it into regional pro days and get his take on everything else going on in the world of the NFL and maybe some baseball as well. Paul Moyer joins us next year with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710.